0: The Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 10, of Effectual Calling, Paragraphs 3 and 4. Elect infants, dying in infancy, are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit, who worketh when and where and how he pleaseth. So also are all other elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the Word. Paragraph 4. Others, not elected, although they may be called by the ministry of the word, and may have some common operations of the Spirit, yet they never truly come unto Christ, and therefore cannot be saved. Much less can men, not professing the Christian religion, be saved in any other way whatsoever, Be they never so diligent to frame their lives according to the light of nature and the law of that religion they do profess, and to assert and maintain that they may, is very pernicious and to be detested. Chapter 10 of the Westminster Confession deals with God's effectual call. It deals with God's inner call. And paragraph 1 tells us that for those who God has predestined unto life, and only those God, at a certain point in time and place and history, calls that individual. He does so with a call that is effective. He does so by his word and his spirit. And when that call comes, the spirit of God utterly transforms that individual and makes them willing and able to call upon Christ. Paragraph 2 told us that this call, when it comes, is not because God has seen anything good in that individual. It isn't because in eternity past he chose them because they would be a good preacher or a wonderful man or woman of prayer. No, this call is dependent on God's free and special grace alone, nothing else. And humanity is passive in it until they are quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit. And that individual quickened and renewed is thereby enabled to answer God's call. However, as we close out chapter 10 of the Westminster Confession, the question may come, what about those who are unable to answer God's call? The Westminster Divines in paragraph 3 highlight two groups of individuals who this might apply to. Firstly, infants, and then also those who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the Word. Why is this so important, you might ask? Why did the Westminster Divines see fit to speak about children and those who are unable to be outwardly called by the Ministry of the Word? Paragraph 3 actually strikes to the heart of a very important and pastoral question. What about my beloved little child who died in infancy and therefore never heard the gospel and never was able to respond to it? Is my child lost? And what about my elderly mother? who suffers from dementia, who spent her life rejecting Christ, and now as this awful illness grips her, she no longer understands anything that is going on around her, not least the gospel. Is my elderly mother, therefore, lost? If you have ever pondered these questions, if you have ever gone through the absolute heart-wrenching pain of losing a child, or you have sat at the bedside of someone who you love dearly, but they are not able to understand what you're saying to them about the gospel. Then this paragraph speaks, and the Westminster Divines tell us in it, that there is hope for little ones dying in infancy, and there is hope for others who are unable to be outwardly called by the ministry of the word. The Westminster Divines begin here by saying that elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit. And in the same way, all those who are elect as well and incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the Word are also saved by Christ through the Spirit. Here is our hope today as we discuss this paragraph because the Divines make it absolutely clear that salvation is all of God, that God's call when it comes is effective And God's hands are not tied as to when and where and how he brings that inner call to the life of his elect. The Holy Spirit moves and works when and where and how he pleases. And so all elect infants and all other elect persons who are incapable of sitting in a church and hearing a sermon preached, well, there is hope for these individuals. In the Reformed Church, we have always maintained a place for our children within God's covenant people. And that is not just based on vain superstition and hope, but all the way through the scriptures we see this outlined. In Luke 18 and verse 15 onwards, we see a picture of people bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. The disciples saw it and rebuked them, but Jesus' response to his disciples was, Let the children come to me. And do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. The Christian faith in the Western world can be often very cerebral, very based in the head. We think you must understand this, you must dot the I's and cross the T's, and we leave little room for the Holy Spirit to work when and where and how he pleases. But paragraph 3 tells us that the Holy Spirit can work in the lives of our children. And so we should not despise the five year old who has embraced Christ, just as we would never despise the 50 year old who has embraced Christ. Jesus says, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And even in Peter's Pentecost sermon, we see that the promise of the gospel is not just for the grown ups who fully understand. Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This wonderful hope that Peter gives us in Acts chapter two is something to store up in our souls. The gospel is not limited. The gospel is not tied. The Holy Spirit can move and blow wherever he wishes to go. That is why we proclaim the gospel on the highways and the byways. That is why we do not give up praying for our loved ones, even though they seem so incredibly hard to the things of God. The promise of God is for you, for your children, for all who are far off, and everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The Lord calls individuals to himself and he is not limited by their age or their level of understanding. It is a great joy to understand this and to know it and we see it played out through the scriptures. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, John the Baptist leaped in Elizabeth's womb. The Lord told the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 1 and verse 5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And in Psalm 139, a Psalm of David, he says in verse 13 to the Lord, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. And in verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Some of you might hear me saying these things and, and think that it's just some old Presbyterian trying to justify our thinking on the place of children in the covenant people of God. But these things are biblical. I rejoice at these passages. They show us that the Lord's hands are not tied when it comes to our children. He can save them from their very mother's wombs and he can save them when they are old and grey and we are long gone having never seen their salvation. The Lord calls where and when and how he wants and the Spirit works in exactly the same way. And so that is why today we can say with confidence that we have reason to hope that elect infants who die in infancy before they hear any word, before they sit under any sermon, before any grandmother picks them up and sets them on their knee and prays for them, we believe with confidence that elect infants dying in infancy can be and are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit. What absolute joyous hope for those of us who have known the pain of miscarriage, What hope for us who have known the heart-wrenching agony of losing a child before they have reached adulthood. The Lord knows our children completely and fully, long before we will ever get to hold them outside their mother's wombs. And we see a bit of this hope in the Old Testament. When King David loses his son, he states in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 23, speaking about the child. He is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. David has this confidence that he will see this child again. He will go to him, but he knows as well the agony of loss when he says, This child will not return to me. Friends, these are not easy things to consider, but the Reformed faith gives us hope, drawing on the teaching of Scripture for our children who have died in infancy long before they have heard the outward call of the gospel. They are still able to hear God's inner call by his Holy Spirit, who works when and where and how he pleases. As the Lord Jesus speaks to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he shows Nicodemus the reality of the Spirit's work in verse 8. He tells him, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from. Or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit can work in infants and the Spirit can work in those who cannot be outwardly called by the ministry of the Word. And so paragraph 3 gives us hope in times of absolute despair. The worst moments in my pastoral work have been on the few occasions where I have had to conduct a funeral for a little child. And when those days come, I rest on this paragraph, but more than that, I rest on the Word of God, and I trust that He is able to do a work amongst His people, whether they are infants in the womb, or whether they are individuals who are outwardly unable to be called by the ministry of the Word. Not only do I rest in these things at the funerals of children, but I also rest in these things when I enter into a nursing home. When you call to visit someone whose mental faculties have been reduced by Alzheimer's, You feel incredibly helpless. You do your best to speak to that person. You do your best to share with them the things of God. But that awful disease has gripped their minds and it seems that they are outwardly unable to understand a single word that you're saying. And yet in those moments, whether it is an elect infant or whether it is another elect person late in life and gripped by Alzheimer's, I rest in Christ and I trust him and I trust his gospel, and I trust the Holy Spirit, who is able to work when and where and however he pleases, giving us hope for elect infants and elect persons who are unable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the Word. Paragraph 3 is a hopeful paragraph. Then this chapter of the Confession finishes with a hopeless paragraph. It speaks in paragraph 4 of not of infants or those who are outwardly unable to be called by the gospel, but others who can see and hear and touch and taste the things of God, and yet truly they are not saved. Paragraph 4 begins by saying others not elected, although they may be called by the ministry of the word, and although they may have some common operations of the Spirit, yet they never truly come unto Christ and therefore they cannot be saved. Jesus makes it clear in Matthew 22 and verse 14, many indeed are called, but few are chosen. And so there are those who we see and know and sit beside in church every week, who are called every week by the outward call of the gospel, but they are not saved. And indeed those individuals may even do Christian things. As the divines put it, they may have some common operations of the Spirit, They may come to the Lord's table. They may at a time seem to love the word. They may even be part of our prayer meetings. And yet they have not been truly converted. They are not truly saved. Jesus again speaks of such an individual in Matthew 7 and verse 22. He says, On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And of course, the Lord will tell these individuals that he did not know them. It is that individual spoken about here in this paragraph of chapter 10. Individuals who seem to love the Lord, but whose hearts are still black and hard towards him. Jesus describes this individual in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13 and verse 20 and 21. The seed was sown in rocky ground and says Jesus, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. To use the words of the Westminster Divines, you might say, this individual has received the word and shows some common operations of the spirit. And yet, says Jesus, he has no root in himself, endures only for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This individual is not elect. This individual has been called by the ministry of the Word. This individual has some common operations of the Spirit, but they have never truly come unto Christ. They are not saved. And Paul puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 6 and verses 4 and 5. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to be restored again to repentance. This individual seems to walk the walk, seems to talk the talk, but they are not truly saved. The Lord experienced this in his own ministry. In John 6, he tells the crowd that there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe— and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Here Jesus again speaks of the inner call. It is not possible for anyone to come to Jesus unless that individual is called with this effectual call from the Father. And so at this point in verse 26, we read that many of his disciples turned away and no longer walked with Jesus. They gave up. They seemed to walk the walk for a time. They seemed to take in every word the Lord Jesus said. But here, in this moment, in this instance, when confronted with hard teaching, they turned their backs on Christ. And therefore, we should not be surprised when we see individuals like this in the church and in our own lives. We all will know stories, won't we, about those people who once preached the gospel and yet now have rejected Jesus, We've heard the stories, haven't we, about famous pastors, internationally renowned speakers and indeed sportsmen and women who once loved the Lord, but now denounce him and publicly condemn him. It is these individuals spoken about here by the Westminster Divines. There is hope today for elect infants dying in infancy and indeed all other elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the word. But there is no hope for those who are not elect and who are called by the word and who do some Christian things but who have never truly come on to Christ and therefore cannot be saved. Now my friends, this is not to say we shouldn't pray with passion for our loved ones and we shouldn't pray for the restoration of a brother or sister who has fallen away. But again, we should not be surprised when we see this worked out all the time. Not everyone who sits under a roof of a church tomorrow morning, and not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is truly on the side of Christ. And so just as this is true for those who at one point were inside the walls of the church, so the Westminster Divines tell us it is true for those who have always been outside. As this paragraph closes, the divine state, much less can men, not professing the Christian religion, be saved in any way whatsoever, be they never so diligent to frame their lives according to the light of nature and the law of that religion they do profess. Here the divine say something incredibly controversial for two thousand and nineteen years. Here they tell us that Jesus Is the only way. This should not surprise us. It is the clear truth of Scripture. In Acts 4 and verse 12, we know the famous passage There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is Christ alone, Jesus alone. Christ stands like a colossus on the playing field. It is only Him. And He says Himself in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus tells us that he is not a way, one way, a way perhaps that you might want to consider amongst all the other ways. Not a bit of it. Jesus tells us that he is the only way. And so the divines explain this to us. By making it clear that those who profess other faiths and indeed live fine and upright lives cannot be saved. And we should reject today those who teach us that all religions lead to the same goal. They do not. A very sincere and well-meaning Muslim cannot be saved outside of Christ. A very sincere and well-meaning Mormon cannot be saved outside of Christ. The Westminster Divines and indeed the Scriptures cannot fathom how any other religion can be considered an equal to Christianity. They are not. Jesus is the only way, according to the Word of God. And the Divines finish this paragraph by stating that anyone who denies this, anyone who teaches perhaps that Jesus is just one way of salvation, well this is very pernicious and it is to be to test it. Or in other words, it is deadly, it is destructive, it is incredibly harmful. And so we might know and hear people within the church teaching this and saying that they believe that God is love and God will one day save everyone and that God appreciates a well-meaning religion, whatever that religion might be. But this is a desperately harmful lie. Imagine the Christian preacher who tells the Muslim, the Jew, the Buddhist or the Mormon, that they are fine outside of Jesus. What a disgraceful and spiritually harmful lie this would be. And it would go against the clear teaching of Scripture. John, in his second letter in verses 9 to 11, states this, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Here is the clear warning. That if you do not abide in the teaching of Christ, then you do not have God. If Christ is a mere footnote in your well-meaning religion, or if you reject him altogether, then you do not have God. And if we receive this teaching, if we pay it lip service, then we too take part in this wicked work. No, Christ is the foundation stone. Christ is the center. Christ is the only one by which we can be saved. And it is as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 22, If anyone has no love for the Lord, then let him be accursed. And so, my friends, may we not quickly desert him who called us in the grace of Jesus. May we not turn to a different gospel. There is no different gospel. But there are those who trouble us and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But as Paul tells us in the opening chapter of Galatians 1, If we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. These are harsh words in our modern ears. But they are true. Jesus is the only way. And so today we finish with hope in our hearts for elect infants dying in infancy and with hope in our hearts for other elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the word. But also with sadness in our hearts for those who have sat in the church of Christ and yet reject him. And also sadness for those who reject Christ whilst following their own religion and going their own path which they think is leading them to God but is actually leading them away. These paragraphs are both encouraging but challenging. They both apply balm to sore hearts that have known the pain of loss and they should also ignite a passion in us for evangelism to the lost. But as we finish may we also rest and may we remind ourselves as this chapter has taught us that salvation is all of God. That the Lord calls when and where and how he wishes and that the Spirit blows when and where and how he wishes and that Jesus today still is the way and the truth and the life. I thank God for his inner and outer call, for his glorious salvation plan and for Jesus. There is salvation in no one else and there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. As always, a few questions for you to consider. Question 1. As a little bit of revision today, once again explain the difference between the inner and outer call of God. Question 2. Give some biblical examples of the Lord working with unborn children. Question 3. How does John chapter 3 and verse 8 help us to understand the spirit's work especially in infants and those unable to be called outwardly by the gospel? Question 4. Why should we not be surprised when we hear of some people who once were within the church, but now reject it completely? And Question 5. There are a multitude of other religions in the world. True or false? Every single religion leads to the same place. Explain your answer biblically. That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn. And until next time, this we confess.